know where, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello and welcome to the Doin' Time show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855am on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. This is Marissa and Peter. Oh, hi. And we'll be taking you through until 5 o'clock this evening. And we've got quite a few people in the studio today and I'm hoping not to do too much talking. I'm just here to guide everybody and make sure that everybody... Not only has their say, but we're able to have some meaningful discussions. So we have here um, Ali, who is a special guest. And listeners may recall that Ali has had um, extensive interviews with us over the years in regards to um, he was in detention. And hello, Ali. Hello. Hi. How are you? Welcome. Great to have you. And Ali is actually live in the studio. He's been released and we may have to be careful Ali don't we about um talking too much about your case isn't oh, it it's okay um but you're now a permanent resident which yes. is fantastic um we also have a friend of his here Ali his name Masood Masood but I'm not Masood. sure whether Masood actually wants to talk but I want to talk a little bit about what's happened to him because uh he's going to court um just for stealing a packet of biscuits go figure seven dollars fifty Biscuits and juice. Going back to um, convict days, that still hasn't uh, vanished, has it? And um, last but not least, we actually have Dave Kerrin here. Hi, Dave. G'day, Marissa. Welcome. And Dave has actually done a lot of work um, with union activism, and I'm hoping to speak with him um, about about the history of unions and looking at the BLF and the the really horrible bill that that may come through Parliament. It's quite an atrocious bill, actually, to try and um, erode workers' rights. And hopefully after we speak to Dave, hopefully he can stay and join us in the discussion about refugees. Uh, can you stay, Dave? Yeah, sure. That would Happy be great. To. Thank you, Dave. So um, first off, um, welcome, Dave. And I'm wondering if you could start off just talking to us a little bit about um, some of your work in the unions and looking at, at, at some background of that. Yeah, well, I, I came into um, the union movement at the end of 1970. Um, I'm, uh, I'm officially old now. I'm 69. Um, and <laughs> and I, I uh, uh, came into the construction industry at the end of 1970. And I ran smack into the, the green bands in construction. Uh, green bands was where um, we as workers uh, demanded the, the democratic right to... to uh, make decisions about our work, um, how it was done, where it was done, if it was done, uh, equal with the employer. And those times where we were ordered to go in and knock down low-income housing or parkland that children would play in or whatever, we would refuse to do that. And uh, by the end of the Green Bands movement um, in, uh, in the latter 70s, uh, in that period of the Green Bands at any rate, there were $3,000 million worth of building materials held up in bands. So that's a lot of money now, but back then that's whole nations. 
Um, Absolutely. So it was a major struggle uh, as a young man, a boy, to run into that and meet all of the elders who led that. Uh, was was an incredible experience and it, it set me and many, many others on a path across our lives where the the, the question of, of democracy within the economy um, we saw as the basis for a whole range of other issues around human rights, war and peace, uh, environment and climate. Um, so, you know, that, as I say, was such a privilege to be involved in that and to, to meet the elders in who were leading that struggle. People like Jack Mundy and Joe Owens and Bobby Pringle in New South Wales, uh, Norm Gallagher and John Cummins and others down here in Melbourne. And uh, to, to, to do that learning on the ground uh, from, from people, the older ones, remember, some of them were 39ers. They'd fought in every theatre of the Second World War against fascism. Um, so the question of democracy and, and democracy within the economy for them was a very, very important one. So in 1974, we were deregistered for the first time. We were outlawed. Um, the union got through that, uh, not, uh, not without some bitter um, struggles within our movement where we turned on each other and uh, then tried to, were left trying to learn the lessons about what happened there. Then in 1986, we were deregistered and, and made outlaw uh, for the second time uh, by the federal Labor government, Hawke and Keating, um, and the state Kane government. And that was the deregistration that really... Uh, tore us apart. It, it took them uh, between 1986 and the to the, the beginning of the 1990s to to uh, I suppose um, uh, you know take away our ability to be effective. But eventually they did. That then ended up in the formation of the Construction, Forestry, Mining and Energy Union. So in other words, what was left of the Builders Labourers Federation went over into the new union. Remembering that was a very hard step because what the Labor government did was they uh, set up a, a yellow union, uh, the Building Workers Industrial Union it was called. Um, uh, rather, they didn't set it up, they used the Building Workers Industrial Union and forced all of our members in the Builders Labourers Federation to, to move over into the new union. Police were on the gate of the, uh, the, the building site every six months and if you had a BLF ticket instead of a Building Workers Industrial Union ticket, you were sacked. So what is BLF, in case listeners don't know? Sorry, the BLF is the Builders Labourers Federation. And uh, so that, that was our union. It, it, it did a lot of the, the fighting in, in the early 70s to, uh, you know, not just improve our wages and conditions and our safety, um, uh, but to, to, to increase worker and human rights on the job. Um, uh, safety, we, how did we deal with that? Well, we dealt with it by what we call the HOMER. So if a job was unsafe and the employer would not respond to the, uh, the requests of workers to clean the job up and make it safe, we would go home for 24 hours and we would force the employer to pay us. If he didn't pay, then we'd go home for 48 hours and so on. Mm. That then led in 1984 to what we now know as the Occupation Health and Safety Act. So it was our direct action oh. which, which led to good, good legislation being put in place finally. Right. Um, so the human rights issues were very important because 85% of the workers in construction in those years, in the 1970s, were direct migrant workers. So they weren't second generation or third generation, they were directly from Greece and Italy and Spain and Croatia and Serbia and from all over the world. So um, again, uh, to be involved in, 
that m really dynamic sort of cultural mix on the job as as younger uh, men, and we were you know pretty much men, all men back then, um, was such a privileged position to be in because you began to hear from from all uh, all ports what was going on in other parts of the world, how our, our issues were all the same regardless of where we came from, and I mean, that's obviously true to this day. Um, so a massive, you know, learning experience. When in the 1980s we were finally deregistered and outlawed, um, that was a shock because in Australia, a first world country, uh, to be treated in the way that uh, workers are often treated in a third world country was was new and different. And we had to learn, uh, we had to learn very rapidly that the times had in fact changed. It was part of the neoliberal rollout. In other words, um, until they had smashed unions, uh, they could not uh, privatise, casualise, uh, introduce sham contracting and offshore our jobs. They had to hit us first and take the legs out from underneath us. Would you say at this point that casual work was born and permanency was, was being slowly taken out? Yeah, that's, that's when it happened. Um, when when they, they took us out, because you've got to remember the Builders Labourers Federation, the BLF, was regarded as the most militant union in this country. Mm. So when they, in, in their view, they, they were lopping the head off the snake, as they saw it, off, off the head off an enemy force, which is working people, basically, in our unions. So it's something that our movement has never gotten over. Uh, remember, it, it, it was still alive up until the early 90s and then it and then it, it it sort of devolved into the construction forestry mining and energy union so all of those all of those bitternesses where some people on the wrong side of this were pointing um, builders labor's federation organizers out and shop stewards out to police to be arrested those sort of things all um, uh, submerged into the cf meu now the cf meu so it took a long time for uh, for those things to begin to change, Johnny Shetka, who is now the secretary of the the Construction, Forestry, Mining, Maritime, Energy Union (CFWMEU), uh, was one of the Builders Labourers Federation organisers. So the worm did turn. Uh, it it, it uh, to some extent the the worm did turn, and uh, you know uh, through through internal struggle in the union and just everybody working together and building trust over many years. Um, uh, the situation was was changed somewhat, but the laws are still there. The capacity for governments to use those laws is still there. Now they want to add another law on top of it all called the Insuring Insuring Integrity Bill. Tell us about that. So the Insuring Integrity Bill is is uh, effectively uh, governments uh, and employers taking the right from union members to determine who leads them uh, and they will make that decision themselves. Uh, they're clearly aimed at John Shetka in the CFWMEU. Yes. They want to get rid of him and basically under the law they, they would put an administrator in charge. They shouldn't have gotten rid of him. No, well, well they're, they're trying to and they haven't as yet and we won't let them get rid of him. It's uh, stupid, really. It, it, it is stupid and dangerous because it, it, it takes what happened in the 1980s and the 1990s when they deregistered us and it goes that one step further down the road towards, towards a, fascist, uh, a fascist society. Mm. You, you know, when you look back in time, you can see that um, the treatment of, of, you know, well, some of, the, some of the brothers sitting in this room now yeah. would never have been able to happen if they hadn't have made our organisation illegal. 
and we're going to hear from them soon. Mm. So, you know, maybe we should talk to them soon and, and you can perhaps add to the discussion, Dave, by telling them how that or the organisation BLF, is that right? Yeah. Could have helped them. Before we do that, so the Ensuring Integrity Bill, that that's to, due to be debated in Parliament soon, is it? Uh, yeah, about another three and a half weeks or so, it'll it'll be up again in front of the Parliament. And what are the features of that, just summarising? Well, effectively, that um, uh, they they will determine um, who who in their eyes has integrity and who doesn't, and so they want to quote unquote ensure integrity uh, by by eliminating the officials and the and the the uh, organisers that we elect. Oh my God. Mm. That's not very. I mean, that that is actually leading towards a fascist society because it's it's judging, isn't it? It is, and and we got a, a glimpse of it in the eighties when when you had workers forced to leave one union and join another against their will. Mm. Um, uh, now this takes it and and moves it so that it can be used against all unions. Now that takes away your main frontline organisations in the defence of human rights. Absolutely. Yeah, and Dave, you made a really um, relevant comment actually when we were speaking off air and I said, well, we've got to relate this to prisons. And, and you said to me, um, you said to me, well, a lot of people are going to go there because we, we're going to be protesting. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know, uh, we are not going to abide by the decisions of a government that tells us we cannot elect particular people whom we believe can best defend the interests of working people. We will oppose that. We will oppose it with our bodies and inevitably, if they want to pursue us, then they will have to jail many, many people in the process. And also, um, just as, as another issue as well, we need to abolish casual work and put in permanency. Absolutely. And again, to repeat, when, when you go back and you look at the, um, the attacks on unions, when did it all start? Okay, so after the Vietnam War, when, the, when imperialism was driven out of country after country after country, Nations were declaring their independence, you know, and it had been going on since the Second World War in a really powerful sort of way. You know, Vietnam, um, Korea, uh, Malaysia, India, country after country threw the colonial powers out and said, we want to run these countries ourselves or, as democracies. So, so capitalism at the end of the Vietnam War realised that it could no longer afford, literally couldn't afford that anymore. So what it did, it introduced what we now call neoliberalism it started to roll that economics out where um, uh, you have a, a global economics that turns one group of people against another group of people, turns one set of interests against another set of interests in order to dominate. Divide now, and conquer. Divide and conquer. Yeah. That started in this country in 1977 when they introduced the secondary boycott laws. Now, they'd been introduced it for the first time in 1973 in Chile when the coup, which eliminated the Allende government, the elected Allende government, was replaced by Pinochet, the fascist. The CIA were directly involved in that. that the, the, the person who ran that CIA um, coup in Chile, um, Marshall Green, was called the coup maker. Now, he did the coup in Greece. He did the coup in Indonesia, which replaced Sukarno with Suharto. He did the coup in, uh, uh, in Chile, and ultimately in 1975, who was the American ambassador here? Marshall Green, yeah. the coup maker. So 77 came hot on the heels of 75, and they introduced the secondary boycott laws, which they first introduced in Chile in 73. What that meant was that it became illegal for a union to show solidarity with another union. Right Now, that was a big, important step. 
Our leaders at the time said, don't be concerned. We can duck and weave this law. We can, we can, we can make it inoperable, right, so that it doesn't affect anyone. Now, they had the experience. They had the networks. They had the members. 60% density then, unlike now, 10% density. So, so they thought they could duck and weave it. Us younger ones, we were more militant and hot-blooded. We said, <laughs> don't do this. It'll, it'll, it'll come back and bite us. Yeah. And over the years, of course, it came back and bit us so that now... Whenever a picket line is put on, uh, workers say, right, we work in this place, we're shutting it down. Uh, they'll line the trucks up at the picket line, right? They'll take photos of the trucks. Then they go to court and say, this is a secondary boycott, right? 1977 secondary boycott laws. Off the back of that, the, the judge has only one, one uh, option and says, all right, yes, it is a secondary boycott. I'm ordering the union to get off the dispute, to go away from the dispute. Now, that sort of thing has been going on for decades and unfortunately our movement has has been tight more and more tightly corralled it's diluted yes diluted and and it's democratic options nil okay yeah so so ensuring integrity builds on that yet again the bill hmm. look dave thanks so much for for talking about that history and i i really wanted to start the show off with that because it's so important and and it really has far-reaching consequences for refugees and asylum seekers, doesn't it? It does, you know, because, look, well, just go back again, 1973 in Chile, the fascist coup, yeah? A lot of the Chileans ended up out here because of union support, right? And were looked after. And then, in turn, they helped educate young ones like me. So, you know, that stuff went on time and time and time again. For unions to do that now is illegal. It is. Hmm. Yeah. It is. And Ali... Hi, hello, hi. Yeah, just <laughs> speaking to the mic. Are you facing me? Yes, yes, That's I can better. hear you. That's better, thank you. Now, Ali, you've been released. Yeah, I've been um, released eight days ago from and detention. So did you want to start off talking about um, Masood there first or did you want to talk about you uh, first? So Masood's story is he's an asylum seeker who's been released from Darwin Detention Centre He's sitting with us in the room now. Everyone can see him, but he Except me. he he doesn't want to actually uh, speak because he's limited English. Anyway, uh, longer story short, immigration didn't give him a payment, didn't uh, offer him a, a house to stay in or anything. So when he get out with limited English and everything, he end up in the streets in a train station, sleeping like homeless person, and then. After after three months, four months, he start just like go to the shop and just grab a chips or biscuit and eat, and then he got caught uh, taking a biscuit and uh, and a juice, seven dollar fifty, and got charged for it, and he have to go to magistrate court because immigration didn't help him and put him on a bridging visa. He's not allowed to work and he's not allowed Centrelink payment, so he end up with no money. Now he have to go to magistrate court and explain to magistrate why did he steal a seven dollar fifty a juice and a, and the chips. It's mm. not fair. No. And doesn't that also go back to seven and eighty eight and onwards when you know? convicts from England were, were put on ships just for stealing a loaf of bread. That's right. Like, for example, uh, detainee Taha, the one in uh, detention centre in uh, Baita in Brisbane, he hanged himself three years ago and he ended up waking up after he hanged himself uh, with a broken uh, neck, the, the box 
of their the voice. voice box. And now he's a mute. He doesn't speak. So we, he went to hospital and the hospital said, we can put on your neck, what they call it, a button and then you can speak. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so Serco responded to him, said, oh, sorry, we cannot afford this. It's out of our budget. So we're just going to leave you mute in, inside the detention center. And he's been now in detention for seven and a half years. Can afford, um, you know... Locking people away, all that money. So they can afford yeah. to lock out people money and wasting taxpayers' money on people like me. Five years in detention, yeah. and then they end up releasing me. And all this five years saying, high risk to the public, high risk to the public. Mm -hmm. So what did change now? Where's mm -hmm. the high risk anyway? Mm -hmm. So it's all the time they make excuses to kill taxpayers' money on uh, on things they actually making a profit to their own pockets from it. So, Ali, you're a permanent resident now, is that right? Yes, I'm permanent resident. So, are they planning to put you back in? Uh, they appealing against me to put me back under ground of high risk to the public and that, which is is not true. Um, I've been out long time and I didn't do anything. So, they're trying to do that, but we will try to fight it, me and my lawyers, and we'll see how we go with it and how how we can sort some issues and... A lot of people behind me, Rack uh, with the Chris Sabrina and Margaret Sinclair and yeah. Helen Fox and all of them has been behind me trying to sort the issues and support me and standing with me on that. So we'll just have to wait and see what uh, will happen through the court cases and I'm here. Hmm. Oh, that, that That's good. It's approximately 4.21 and you're listening to the Doing Time show and speaking with Ali and... Um, and David and Masoud's here too. Just go, going to go now into a very quick announcement. 3CR are selling kefir Palestinian starves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black, or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. And you're back with the Doing Time show. So, I mean, what's your, your take on this, Dave, in, in what's happened? With Masood and Ali and, you know? I mean, you know, I mean, I'm, a, I'm a 50-year veteran. In, it's like victims. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. Well, well, you know, uh, uh, probably a, a better term would be scapegoats, you know, because I don't think you're victims. I think no. you're, you're people who are strong and you're, you're, you're determined, and but you've been scapegoated. And over 50 years of my active life, I've, I've seen that happen before. And, and you know, it, it's it's a... It is that thing about that neoliberalism does. It turns one group of people against another, as though that group of people is your problem, not the people who have a greedy set of vested interests who are using both of us. True. Yeah, and and, true. and, I, and I think that you can see that across uh, the aged care rights. You can see it across the way children are treated in 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 facilities. You can see it in our detention centres and our laws around around human rights and and refugees and asylum seekers. This this strategy is used everywhere all around the world because it works. 
Yep. You know, and, and the, the worst case scenario, of, it, of course, is war. Mm. And when you consider that, you know, the vast majority of our refugees and our asylum seekers are escaping either environmental and climate uh, devastation or war, well, it begins to add up, you know. So the lesson, I guess, for all of us here and around the world is to join together in solidarity and support each other. Yeah. What do you think, Ali? Yeah, it's actually true what he's saying. Uh, it should be everyone joining and more people knows about it, more people actually uh, better because I was, uh, uh, I ordered an Uber drive to drive me to go visit my friend uh, Farzad in detention center, which is was uh, three days ago. And the Uber driver said, uh, where I'm taking you? I said, to detention center. He said, what is detention center? Is it jail? I said, no, it's, it's a camp where they keep refugee. He said, I never heard of that. Is there is one in Melbourne? I said, yes, it's been years. Oh, yeah. He didn't even know about it. And he's a taxi driver. Like, he should, have, he no. should have even known more about this kind of stuff than <laughs> anyone else. <laughs> he And he didn't know. So it should be more people knows what this government doing to people. I've done bigger protests, as Peter may be seeing it on all over social media, on Facebook and Human Rights Detentions yeah. group and that, uh, about uh, Mentara Hotel. They... They yeah. locking them up in there for 20 hours, 19 hours a day uh, and w with with nothing, just in the room, watch TV or sleep, watch TV or sleep, or they give you containers of fr frozen meals just to heat it up in the microwave. Mm. They've been tortured, tortured. And this, most of these people actually, they're from Manus and Nauru, they came in here and they're no crime. They're mm. not criminal or anything. Nah. And then when, when they talk to the minister in the parliament, uh, what happened with them is a caseload issue. They just need to wait their turn. Well, put more resources to it and release them and instead of you put them in a hotel five-star and killing Human taxpayers' rights. money on Violation. them and circle happy for it. They not complained about it because they making profit billions of dollars of the government, taking all taxpayers' money off you, off me, off everyone else, yeah. and then keeping detention running and and reporting, keep reporting uh, detainees to border force, Australian border force, saying, oh, this one high risk, this one dangerous, this one always talk about this, this one is a bad person, mm -hmm. because the more bad reports they put on you, on your file, the more you look bad at the judge, and the judge won't give you visa. Yep. So Circo, anything you do inside, even if you have argument with him about noodles, yeah. he'll report you. Mm -hmm. Even about noodles, mm -hmm. he'll, he'll mm -hmm. do a report Ridiculous. for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And yeah then, it's true, actually. Like so they, they <laughs> just uh, just killing taxpayers' money on Circo, and Circo just uh, just a, a company where they're making profit. All, all they need is they're looking on, on us as a number with a dollar sign. That's it. Mm, it's yes. just a detainee's a number with a dollar sign to just... Take money, and mm. that's it. Ali, you're from um, Iraq, aren't you? Yes, Iraq. I'm from Iraq. I will never forget that there was one, I'm sure you won't mind me talking yeah, about yeah, this, because yeah. um, I think you spoke about it on air anyway, yeah. but I'll never forget there was one occasion. I called you up, I think, I always wake you up in the morning, don't I? So yeah, sorry yeah, about yeah, that. yeah, it's good, yeah. <laughs> Going too early. <laughs> I've got a really bad habit of doing yeah. that. But yeah, I called you up one day, and, and you said to me, oh, I'm in hospital. And I said, what? What happened? You're in hospital. I tried to kill myself. Yeah. He said. Yeah, this is. Yeah. True. And I said, "What are you talking about?" And he said, "Oh yeah, I'm, I'm on a drip." He said, "I've got a lot of, ang I had a lot of anxiety. Yeah, I couldn't handle being In locked detention. up." Yeah, I you know? got this. But, and you uh, sound 
so much better. Like I can actually feel this the one fresh actually, air of energy around you. Like I'm this, just so happy that you're, that you're here. This one actually was my mother. I got the news of my sister said she's in a hospital and she's with breast cancer and her hair is falling off and yeah, she's yeah. on chemotherapy drips mm. and that. Breast cancer? And I'm, uh, yeah. And I'm in detention center. I can't do anything. And then circle guard keep bashing me, abusing me, uh, oh, giving me a hard time. So it's, it's all in one go. And we were on that time hanging strike mm. all over the detention center and uh, trying to get justice to refugees and asylum seekers in there and that. So I went inside and I had a, a full bag of uh, razor blades. I broke all the razor blades. I swallowed them. I swallowed about seven, oh, really? I think. I think seven. Oh, and I, I sleep. Jesus. I drink water and I sleep. I wake up. My whole room was a crime scene. Just blood from my nose and from my mouth. And the nurses punching me in the face saying, stay with me awake until the ambulance mm. arrives. Mm. And I went oh. to hospital. I ended up there for 33 days in Epping. Epping Hospital Northern. Yeah, in in Melbourne here, yeah. uh, I end up there hospital. 33 days with uh, all cut all over alone. my stomach. They done operation and took them out, but they said because it did cut you inside, you can't eat. You have to be stay in the hospital for it drips mm. brought into your body all the three 33 days until it'll heal up. Otherwise, if you eat, you'll get infected. Yeah. You'll die. They said mm. so. We we cannot have a major operation again on you. So you have to stay on the drip. Mm. But I suppose the reason why I mean that is because mental health is paramount mental health issues yeah it'll destroy you know, of course if you're oh, going to be locked up yeah. if you're going to be locked up for uh, to be allowed to rot in detention that is what's going to happen and dave i think you spoke about the offshore mm. did you mean offshore as in um, offshore detention centers centers or did you mean workers like, going offshore well, no so so when you when Neoliberal economics came in in this country towards the end of the 1970s. There were there were four major things they aimed at economically. One was privatisation, yep. which they did in Iraq. They've done everywhere. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The other casualisation, and now in the 40 percentile of our young people work casual. Yeah, casual um, is not fair. No, and nah. sham contracting. Yeah, and offshoring of jobs where they closed a lot of our industries and they sent those jobs to countries where they figured they could exploit workers more and lower the cost of the labour. That then in turn rebounded back in 2008 when the global economy nearly went bust because what happened was because they did all that, a lot of people in the first world countries like Australia couldn't purchase anymore enough to keep the economy afloat. So that that's that problem they've got. But where it relates to, I mean, that relates to, to refugees and asylum seekers. But that I guess the problem from my perspective, being a, being an elder in this, is that there is such a lack of honesty in the discussion we have. That's to say, people don't leave their country and their and their mother and 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 that for for no reason because it, it occurs to them one day they're going to take a trip. They leave because of war yep. and they leave because of environmental damage. Safety. So, yeah, absolutely, safety. it's safety. So so the thing is. That's never talked about. It's never talked about the fact that our our involvement in the wars across Iraq, yeah. and 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 uh, now they look like they want to kick one off with Iran, I Afghanistan, the the Palestinians, the treatment of the Palestinians. Yeah. Uh, that that stuff is never ever 
talked about in relation to the asylum seekers and hey, refugees. Hey, that's true. That there's a connection there. There is an absolute connection, and and the environmental damage. Look at the environmental oh. damage around the world. It is being done by our countries: America, yeah. Australia, England, Europe. And then when people want to leave that, we treat them like criminals and lock them up. So, so you know now why? Well, what's the driver? Well, in the world today, by far the biggest industry in the world is the military. The military, right? It is six times larger than any other industry in the world. Now, if if that's the biggest part of your global economy, what do you need more and more and more of in order to sell the goods you make? You need war, mm-hmm. don't you? And now the military is lar- the largest emitter of greenhouse gases. So we've got an intersection of militarism and climate emergency. And who are the first victims of that? It's your asylum seekers and your refugees, our That's brothers and discussed. sisters, our brothers no. and sisters who are forced to leave situations that, I mean, we we complain and moan when we get a blackout and our TV goes off. Yeah. yeah. But when you don't have clean water, when when your kids can't eat, of course you're going to leave that and look for another situation. Now my point is, it is our countries that is causing that, and we need to own it, and we yeah. need to do something about it. Otherwise, because let's face it, there's no such thing as a an, an asylum seeker problem. There's no such thing as a climate problem. These things relate to the way in which we're living and we have to change the way in which we're living. Part of that is we've got to accept that these brothers and sisters have the same rights, not just, you know, they have the same rights as us. And if they don't have rights, then we have a privilege. Yeah. It's like uh, before I looked on documentary on YouTube, it said Iraq second rich country with oil and, and uh, petrol and all that and supplying the world 42% mm. of the whole world uh, petrol and, and oil and that so it's, it's like it's common sense that you need us we need you mm. it's, it's like you can't just get 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 you yeah. don't give as well yeah. it's simple yes, exactly. major like they need to look into it as well it's like he came in to help us and took uh, Saddam Hussein away, but he just made it worse. Yeah, absolutely. It's like thousands, they they actually judge Saddam Hussein on killing 55,000 people by chemo, uh, by air. Mm. But actually oh. now is 100,000 people every day dead. Who's responsible for this? No one. Mm. No one is claiming nothing on yeah. them. Yeah. Exactly. That's, yeah. right. That's right. Now, in, in the immediate... With Masood, is it? Masood. Yes, Masood. Does sorry, I can't ask you the question directly because he doesn't have a microphone. But yeah. does he have somewhere to live? Uh, he's now at the back of a church in Asindin, okay. in a little room, uh, just a mattress and yeah, single mattress and a blanket and that. And, and no a, bridging visa. Uh, on a bridging visa, but not allowed to work and not allowed to uh, get payments and that. So he have no clothes. He have no food much. He have absolutely no- nothing much. I helped him. I got him a mobile phone. I helped him. I got him. Some li- little uh, clothes I have, like they small on me, and that I oh. I gave it to him and that. But he he need help. He need he need some people to look after him. Food, in, uh, like food, clothes, all this kind of stuff, because he's he's a vulnerable. He doesn't speak a proper English. He's he doesn't have a job. He doesn't know much in Melbourne. He he's just came out of Darwin detention center, so he doesn't yeah. know much. And I also want to make it clear that we're not here to advocate charity. Um, yes. It's not about charity. No. It's about 
human rights. Mm. Yes, and absolutely. I'm asking. I'm only saying that because I don't want listeners to get the impression that we're that we're here to offer. You know, get people to come in and offer charity. Like no, no, you know no, what no. I mean. It's well, more about if more about what immigration doing him. exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, Dave was talking about divide and conquer, and yesterday I watched a, a documentary on Footscray, and um, there were some Vietnamese people came in the seventies came to Melbourne, and this daughter of this um, Vietnamese guy said, "Oh, you know, everybody say to my father, you'll take all, all my jobs, but my father owns a factory and employs all these people, and what are they talking about?" And mm. you know, it's this this um, divide and conquer is everywhere. It's, and I'm sure that the government make that ta- make people think that way that um you know yeah I'm, I, I've got no job because of um immigrants hmm. yeah yeah I yeah. just thought I'd say that no, <laughs> look at, look it happens a lot doesn't Absolutely. it it in, in it happens a lot and you know back then when I was growing up it was the Italians and the Greeks mm. yeah, know, yeah I had a lot of um stuff during my childhood you know you're a wog go back to your country mm. yeah a lot of discrimination yeah. with um Vietnamese racism. People. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, same before that again, like going back uh, when I was a boy, I, we we were Protestants and Catholics were fighting in the streets. We, yeah. You oh, know, really? it was like Belfast. I mean, we, so you, know, you couldn't get a job if you were a Catholic. There are certain parts of uh, industries where you couldn't couldn't work. They wouldn't allow it. So wow. it's always been part of, of what, um, you know, the elites have, have done. They've, the best way to control a community is to split it and divide it. Yeah. An injury to one is an injury to all. Mm, where it came from. And yeah. I, I think also, you know, you there's all this stuff, you know, going back to the biscuits and the juice. Mm. You know, they say, oh, but, but they stole. But why does a person steal? You know, mm. we're not talking here about home invasions. We're not talking about, you know, thousands of dollars worth of food. Sorry, Masuda, is this okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's all we're, good. you know, we're talking about orange juice and biscuits because a person 50. was hungry, mm-hmm. yeah. and a young person who would be frightened, who wouldn't know how to speak English properly, and who, and now there is the threat of detention because, and, and this is interesting. This is something that the show talks about a lot when we, we're doing interviews about asylum seekers and refugees. And Ali, you're a prime example of this as well, that, you know, you, you, you do a violation of the law, just a slight violation, you serve your time, but then they don't let you out. Mm. That's the no. thing. They, they don't let you out. You, you actually have to go into detention. We're just trying to survive, mm. just living peaceful life and surviving in the middle of all this kind of conditions we in and kind of situation we in and we still get hard time and uh, yeah. and uh, and they make us all look bad and then the minister comes on TV and say they are all dangerous they all securitists to public mm. they all yeah. high risk to reoffend and all that kind of stuff which is, is not even true it's not it's nothing to do with self harm or anything like that mm. uh, absolutely yeah. ali let me just yes. um go into a an announcement and we'll come straight back. Yep. 3CR is about community and 
welcome your participation at the station. 3CR is open to a wide diversity of volunteers and is a great way to connect with Melbourne's activist community. Have you ever thought about volunteering, doing a reception shift, getting a program on air, training in radio skills or contributing to one of the station's committees? There are many ways to be involved at 3CR. To find out more, go to 3cr.org.au and get in touch. Time show back with the doing time show. So, but I mean, having said that though, Ali, like obviously, um, and this is this going to probably sound awful and don't take this the wrong way, but you might have to be more extra careful than other people, you know, so that you don't go back in, you know. Now, I'm not saying you've got to, you've got to um, stop doing your activism, but obviously just be a little bit more careful don't give them any am, re- give them any reason you know i am does that sound terrible yeah i am really careful yeah. mm. uh, but all i'm doing now is helping refugees inside detention and i'm yeah. saying the truth mm. yeah, so if, yeah. if they want to put me in detention they already trying it but if they want to put me they have to put a reason to the judge and it's a, it, it has to be strong reason. They cannot just put to the judge a reason saying, oh, we put him in detention because Ali went to a, a radio show or a, no, or a TV not. show or no, he no, done no. a video talking about uh, refugees and racism. No. They, they can't do that. No, it no. has to be a criminal charges, uh, something strong to actually put me in detention. And, and I mean a criminal charges like heavy ones to actually be... Uh, jailable time and everything mm. to actually put me in detention because I'm mm. on permanent resident visa. I'm not on a bridging visa. They can put me anytime, even if I just sneeze. Hang yeah. on a sec. So with this violation, with this um, traffic violation that you had, yes, were you were you on a bridging visa then or permanent resident? No, I was on permanent resident, but I because oh. I end up for a prison farm going for four months, they they cancel it because they cancel it under the five four one character test because oh. they said he went to prison. So now they can't cancel a permanent resident on. Uh, a video show or, or a radio show or anything or a TV no. show, they can't do that unless you commit a crime. But mm. Ali, they can't do, they can't cancel. Back then, with the character test, you wouldn't have failed the character test because you you could, could be in prison for two years. Uh, you were only in prison for four months. No, because it was uh, the whole sentence was uh, one year with oh. minimum of four months and then six months, uh, not six months, uh, eight months for parole. But they didn't give me parole. They released me straight away to detention and then Circle grabbed me, put me in detention. See, that's not right. And mm. if, you had, if you hadn't been on permanent resident, I don't believe that would have happened. Uh, well, you know, if you'd been a white guy. You, you know, I, I, I think there's a strong element of truth in that. And, yeah. I, and I also think... We ought we ought not allow people to get away with calling this thing about the seven dollar fifty juice and and biscuits as theft. Absolutely, like this is a human right. If if yeah. you are bereft Disgusting. of all means, then then stealing is not not a crime. If I you've mean, got I mean, nothing we, to uh, eat, okay. Yeah, if you've got it. nothing to eat, and you're really really hungry, Masood, you are hungry. He was crying for the whole day in the police station when they arrested him oh and locked him up Lord. in there oh, no. until the judge in the morning released him and that. He was Seriously. just crying, 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 crying. He, he, he didn't know what to do. He, he, he said to me, he said, I thought they're going to lock me up for years mm. or something mm. for the biscuit. He said, and then I contacted the police officer yesterday in Sunshine Police Station. I said, 
I think this charge is not fair on that. If you want it, I can come see you right now in the police station and come with you to the shop and yeah. pay the seven dollar fifty even mm. with interest, like mm. twenty mm. bucks or fifty mm. bucks, mm. to the shop for yeah. the biscuit and the juice. He said it doesn't work like that, Mister Ali. It, it, yes, it he does. have to be going to court and he have to be uh, facing the. Uh, magistrate and explain to magistrate why did he steal a seven dollar fifty a juice and a biscuit? I said, you know okay, what? then we'll see you in court. You know what? That's actually it does work like that sometimes because I know, I know um, a friend of mine and her daughter um, shoplifted about fifty bucks worth of, at Target. Yeah, and um, the police gave her a warning and the mother just paid. So, uh, how, that, come, how come they could pay? In that stage, if actually the person doesn't get called in the same se second, he goes home, they'll send him a fine and send him a warning to pay it. No, she got caught off. red-handed. Oh. And her mother, they went to the police station and then her mother paid $50, okay, yeah. for, the, for, the, for the stuff and then she just got released. Not sure. It, it, yeah. It's just up to that as it's well. The, the police, police officer on the minute who arrested you exactly. and how he look at you. Is yeah. he looking at you as a criminal? Or, yeah. yeah, like sometimes you get pulled over on the street for doing a, a little mistake like a speeding or something. And some police officer let you go. Some police officer say, nah, you have to get fine. And mm. some officers even give you extra on top of the fine mm. sticker to your car or something. Yep. So it's just up to the police officer on the moment. How does he look at you and who you are? Mm. Sometimes they make it really bad. Sometimes, yeah. So it's like, like even in detention. If officer like you, if you do mistake, and it's a big mistake, they make it really small mistake, really smaller problem. But yeah. if they don't like you and you do the smallest mistake, they make it big issue big for you yeah. and big reports and everything. Mm -hmm. So, and also, I believe that on Saturday, the Refugee Action Collective organised um, a, 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 protest. a protest outside the hotel yeah. where some yeah. refugees were housed. And I believe yeah. Lydia Thorpe was um was speaking that day and she's an indigenous yeah yeah activist. yeah yeah i talked to her i dropped her to the hotel as oh, well on good. our way in the car and that she's lovely lovely woman like she's really really nice and she talked uh, she said we're we're on our land we're the one should make decision not this government should make decision indigenous mm. people who on this land should make decision i wanted these people out uh, out of this upstairs because they were upstairs their asylum seeker in the hotel she said i wanted these people come down right now to here and say hello to me but i can't do that and it's in my own country and the government is not even indigenous they they make decisions and on my name and i don't want it that because this is not me talking you making decision on my name but i'm not deciding you making decision on my name mm -hmm. so she wasn't happy and she talked really really lovely and she's really respectable woman i, I love her forever mm. yeah that's mm. important that's nice. and so yeah because our, our aboriginal people were very much in in solidarity mm. with um refugees and yeah, asylum yeah. seekers that's right and they they make the point always have that that you know from from the beginning when 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 colonizers came out here they never turned them away they tried to they tried to negotiate they tried to do treaty and yeah. they were, and they were knocked back mm. yeah
Yeah, she was talking about how the kids being locked up, all Aboriginal kids locked up in the government houses and government taking their kids away and that, and yeah. all uh, all indigenous uh, kids, uh, Aboriginal uh, kids, all of them children, in, in yeah. yeah, children, all of them in uh, locked up and that. It's not fair. This government is actually, these people need help, need people to talk to, need uh, people to uh, assist them, uh, see what they need, not locking them up. It's mm. just, this is ridiculous. Everything, whatever mistake you do, okay, that's it. Grab him, lock him up. Grab him, put him in detention. Grab him, put him in jail. It's not fair. Mm. It's, it, it need to be more kind of system in a place for this kind of people. It's, it's not, uh, sometimes yeah. to lock up people actually make them worse than yeah. they are yeah. because they'll be going to environment where they can see more bad things and learning it because they don't know nothing about it and they end up more even bad than who they are. So mm. it's, it's better for all of us mm. to help them. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's approximately 4.47, so we've got about 13 minutes left, so we probably need to wrap up pretty soon. I think I might actually go into an announcement about a radioactive um, tour coming up um, because Dave, you were talking about climate change one stage, weren't you? Climate mm-hmm. emergency. Yep. You wanna finish up? I don't wanna finish up. I wanna live. The federal government has just announced plans for a radioactive waste dump in Kimba on Bangala Country. BHPs is expanding the Olympic Dam uranium mine. There's trouble up ahead. Now is the time to join the radioactive resistance. Hit the road with Friends of the Earth Melbourne's Nuclear Free Collective as we travel to frontline communities and see how the nuclear industry impacts people. The Radioactive Exposure Tour will run from April 10 to 19 this year. More details on melbournefoe.org.au slash radtour2020 or contact us on radexposuretour at gmail.com. FOE's Nuclear Free Campaign is a 3CR supporter. And you're back with the Doing Time show, and it's approximately 4.49. So, look, I wanted to thank all of you for, for coming in. It's it's been, um, it's been really great. And and Dave, um, so with the union, so you've, you've spoken up until about the 1990s with, with the history. Uh, I guess that, that was just looking at um, that experience with the Builders Labourers Federation, which, oh. which did tend to stamp where we've gone since um so you know but yeah i mean since then what have we seen like you know no, nothing but attack upon attack upon attack and taking away the ability of workers in unions to deal with anything outside of their wages and their conditions and their occupational health and safety so for, for them to to say for instance uh strike to have uh, the people released from detention centres, which is what we would have done in the 70s. Right? Uh, we, we, yeah, yeah. We, would, we would have struck. Yep. That's illegal. And, and if, if a union attempts to do something like that, it's, it's hundreds of thousands of dollars in fines per day and tens of thousands of dollars for the individuals involved per day. So, you know, that's the existing law. This ensuring integrity stuff comes in, it's going to up the ante yet again. Um, and so, so the refugee campaign, the peace campaign, the environment campaign has to support unions to try and to try and push these laws back. Mm. Unions, in turn, we have to 
gather our bigger battalions, what's left of us, and get in behind our brothers and sisters who are seeking asylum, get in behind the issue of peace, not war. There's a big push on now to make Australia a major arms company um, a producer. Now, killing our brothers and sisters overseas, has it come to that? Are we going to say, what did you do today, Daddy, at the factory? Oh, well, I made, I made missiles and tanks so that I, we could kill more people. So, you know, we've got to, as, as a union movement, we've got a, a responsibility. The powerful have to defend the less powerful, and that is the role of unions. Yeah. I'm so glad that you talked about that, about that because often what tends to happen is that a lot of people think that the union is, is just about workers. It is about workers, but it's also about um, helping to improve things. Absolutely. The, the, the idea of union is that we are union inside the workplace and we are union outside the workplace. It is about democratic control over the spaces where we work and where we live. Yep. And anybody who comes into that space... If they're asylum seeker brothers and sisters, they have to be able to live equally with us. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's a real concern about the um th this the insuring integrity bill as well. What can people do to try to prevent that from happening? So they can um, they can keep abreast of the Victorian Tradesville Council website and and Facebook. Um, you know they can they can if they're in a union. Uh, if they're not in a union, they can join one and they can you know, find out through their own union then uh, as to what's going on. If if they, uh, if they if they're unemployed at the moment, to take the opportunity, go and look it up online and, and learn a little bit about it. Uh, the, the website of the Construction, Forestry, Mining and Energy Union has a lot of information available for people so they can go and have a look there and, and educate themselves. What would you say to, to workers that are disillusioned with unions? Because I've spoken to a lot of workers who when they have problems and they and they try to call to sign up as members, they, they say, oh, look, we can't help you because you've got pre-existing problems and you're going to have to pay us a certain amount of money an hour to represent you um, if someone's bullying or, and harassing you at work. So I would say persist. I, unions are not perfect. Um, I've got into more blues inside unions than I have probably outside. It, it, it's, mm. it's, you know, any relationship like that it, it, it is too easy to walk away and let the relationship hit the rocks uh, with unions it, the, the difference I suppose is that we get a vote at the end of the day we get a vote and if we're active and if we're making a community out of other activists who are in unions then you know think we can change things I've seen it happen I've seen it happen in my 50 years I've seen leaderships come and leaderships go I've seen good ones and bad ones but, yep. but the reality of it is, it's still, we are all we've got. We are all we've got. And, and we, we can't give up on each other because the form that that might take is, is not up to the task. Our job is to be in there and make sure that it does become up to the task. Absolutely. And Ali, with you, with, with your um, permanent residency, so at the moment you're out, but you're saying that Certico has appealed? Or the immigration uh, department. Immigration, nothing to do with Serco mm. anymore. Immigration has appealed yeah, to have so you back in because they say you're high risk. Yeah, a high risk to the public. Were there conditions when you got released? Uh, there is only three conditions they released me on: uh, not to commit a crimes, and uh, not to talk to uh, associate with uh, high risk by bikey members or anything like that. And uh, the third one is uh, drugs. 
any okay. anything to do with drugs related or people to do with drugs or that kind of environment you're not allowed to go near them that's well, it you know what that that uh, sound it's absurd really because you don't have any of those of those associations ali uh that's what they give you anyway this is the rules of them mm. you cannot commit a, a, a sure. crime you cannot go near bikes you cannot go near drugs mm. always they give it not to me only to anyone get released they give him this this ones only the bridge and visa people they'll give them on top of this you're not allowed to work as well so i'm, I'm allowed to work but they're not allowed to work the bridge mm. and visa people not their permanent resident visa mm. and have they set a court date for that uh, court date, uh, they have set it for Wednesday, uh, but I believe my lawyer trying to uh, stretch it out more longer uh, because my lawyer said the more longer we have it, when we go to judge, the, the more actually chance the judge will not listen to them and put you back in detention because he will say, okay, but if he's high risk, he didn't yeah. do anything, he's been out already for a month or two months. That's right. So we're trying to adjourn it, not to go on Wednesday early, we go like next month or something. So we have time to prove saying, I've been out nearly six, two weeks or mm. uh, like six weeks or two months. I didn't do anything. Yep. That's right. So we have more chance to fight ground. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. We hope so. The best. If I'm in detention, I'll call you and I'll be on the show anyway. And then I I'll, I'll expose, <laughs> I'll expose more things. To the people. You are not going to be in detention, Ali. Hopefully. No, Finger no you're not. It's no. not going to happen. Thank you. So it's approximately 4.56 and we've got about a minute left before we're out of here. And coming up next is Beyond Zero. And they talk a lot about, about climate change and climate emergencies. So stay tuned for that. And it's goodbye from all of us at the studio. Thank you. Thanks, mate. Goodbye. goodbye. Stay strong and stay safe. And we're going to be going out now with our theme song, Black Fella, White Fella, from the Rumpy Band. And every Monday at 4 to 5 p.m., stay tuned to the Doing Time show. Bye. Bye. Take Bye. care.
sisters. 